What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Lockdown Blazers, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is going to be all about fantasy basketball. Josh Lloyd over at Lockdown Fantasy Basketball had me on his show to talk about Blazers' fantasy outlook for the season. So uh, if you're into fantasy basketball, I feel like this show will be really helpful for you if you're targeting players on the Blazers. If you're not into fantasy basketball, this show will be really helpful because we just talk about hoops. It's the same thing, except Josh does a really good job of spitting things forward to talk about fantasy basketball. I'm going to pop back in a couple times in the episode to get you in and out of some ad breaks. But uh, until then, we'll let Josh take it away. Let's bring in the host of the Locked On Blazers podcast. Mike Richmond is here to talk about this Portland team. Mike, uh, welcome to the show for the first time. Thanks for having me, Josh. It's good to have you on to talk Portland Trailblazers, a team that surprised a lot of people by going to the conference finals last season, but a team not without uh, changes this year as they've lost their starting three, their starting four, their starting centre is uh, is done, and their starting centre from the playoffs is no longer on the team. So there's lots for us to talk about with this team, but we start all these shows, or I've been starting all these shows, Mike, by looking at an injury update. We've got a couple of guys to talk about here. Let's talk about the big one, though. Yusuf Nurkic broke his leg at the end of last season. And pretty devastating injury for any player, let alone a man the size of Nurkic, who's about, what, you know, 7 foot, 280 pounds. When are we looking at him in terms of uh, return? What's a reasonable expectation for Nurkic? I think reasonable is early February. Um, the team has said, you know, January, February with like a lean towards February. The, the later we get into the offseason, the more you hear February from them. So I think right around Valentine's Day, the All-Star break, uh, I don't know if, depending on where they are, if they would rush him back before the All-Star break. But, um, you know, with that early February trade deadline, maybe they do try to see what he can do before that. But, yeah, February is the target. That's exactly what I've got down there, that early February time frame for Nurkic, which makes him pretty hard to look at for fantasy basketball perspective because when he comes back, he's not going to be coming back and playing A at the same level, playing every game, or playing the same amount of minutes. So drafting him and sitting on him for four or five months is pretty tough to do. Uh, Yahoo's got him ranked pretty low, 172, which is about right, meaning you shouldn't really be looking at him in that spot. ESPN, of course, in uh, them screwing up all their rankings, he's number 65. There is no way in <laughs> any sort of situation you should be looking at Yusuf Nurkic as that guy there to look at. We'll talk about Yusuf Nurkic and his replacement a little bit later, Mike. I want to talk about another injury, not as severe, but one that has happened recently, and that is, of course, the presumed starting power forward for this team, Zach Collins, has suffered an ankle injury. Some people who may not have been paying attention to the NBA over the last four or five weeks may not have seen this. What's the uh, what's the situation with Collins' ankle, and is it jeopardizing the beginning of the season for him? Uh, Blazers don't think it'll even jeopardize training camp. They assume okay. he'll be back and ready to go for training camp. But yeah, I, I think it's going to keep maybe he miss about a month in the in the off season to kind of get going. So if anything, it might hurt his development a little bit, but not his availability. Let's. Tor Collins now, who was the primary backup to Nurkic last season, and at the beginning of last season, there were times when he was outplaying Nurkic, before Nurkic really got on that role, say, in December onwards, especially the start of the season, Collins was playing really well. Now, it looks like he's going to be the starting power forward with Alfred Camino gone and Orlando. Collins looks like the likely guy to start there, playing a different position. What are we expecting from Zach Collins this season? I'm expecting him to see a significant increase in his playing time, under 18 minutes a game last season. I think he's pushing closer to that 30 mark this year. Do you see that happening, or who else is in consideration to take minutes at the fore from him? Well, good news for uh, for those people targeting Zach Collins is the Blazers basically don't have any other power forwards. That's um, right. <laughs> with apologies to Anthony Tolliver. But, uh, yeah, I think they're – 
I think he's pushing that 29, 30-minute mark for sure. They carved out a bunch of time for him. The front office is a big, big, big-time believer in him. Um, and obviously what they did this offseason roster-wise is, is clear the decks for him to play power forward. Uh, the big question for him is can he stay on the floor with foul trouble? He had a huge problem with fouls earlier in his career. And it kind of after he, he seemed to have it under control early on, and it crept back up late in the season where he, um, he just was a foul machine. Every time he's on the court, he's picking up two cheapies, and then he's an aggressive guy, and he picks up a few more here and there just playing defense. Um, so the big question for him is can, can he – be disciplined enough on defense to to actually play 30 minutes because the Blazers certainly want him to. We saw that with guys like Mitchell Robinson and Jaron Jackson Jr. last season. They're young guys that have trouble staying on the court with fouls. Collins, no exception, but he is a little bit older. He's still only 21, but it's going to be his third season in the NBA. We often see players start to get that under control. Him playing power forward is going to be a bit of a change in what he does, but he can hit threes, he can block shots, he can be efficient, he can hit free throws, he can rebound. To me, he is under-ramped on both ESPN and on Yahoo, 139th on Yahoo, 157th on ESPN at the moment. I think he's got a real chance of, of cracking that top 100 because, as you said, Mike, there's no one else there for PowerPoint. They believe in him to be that guy. He's going to get those minutes, and that is going to translate into some pretty decent production. Maybe not the same block rate as he had last season because as players do mature, they go for less blocks, and him playing at the four instead of the five could impact that as well. But I think that he is a pretty solid standard league player, and it's good news that that injury doesn't appear like it's going to impact the beginning of the season for um for Zachy Collins. But let's talk about the guy who is replacing Yusuf Nurkic, acquired, acquired in a trade that did cost the Mohawkless. And that is Hassan Whiteside coming across from the Miami Heat where he was uh, pretty disappointing at times last season. He was uh, disappointed with how the Miami Heat handled him. He moves into this starting center position. I guess the question for me here with Whiteside is do you think that a change of scenery can reinvigorate him? And when Nurkic comes back, is there going to be a problem with Whiteside moving to the bench? Is he going to create an issue like he did in Miami with the way that Spolster limited him? You know, I think the Blazers at least are banking on contract year Hassan Whiteside, change of scenery, uh, a little bit different culture. You know, the Heat aren't, you know, they're a team known for sort of getting the most out of guys, at least conditioning-wise. Um, but I, I think just situationally, the, the Blazers are banking on all of those things uh, leading to the Hassan Whiteside of three years ago coming out. Um, they've certainly... Uh, they targeted him as a starting center. You know, they kind of they kind of immediately pivoted in early in free agency and said he's the guy we want to go get. Um, so they're big believers in him. The front office chased him in 2016. Uh, they reportedly maybe tried to go after him tra- in trades after that, sort of in the pre-Nurkic era. Um, so I would say personally, I'm a little skeptical of what type of production he can bring. But I know the Blazers um, front office at least is, is is super super high on him. So uh, um, if you are if you're a believer in some of the other uh, risky moves they've made, maybe you know stay on board with this one. He's ranked way too high on ESPN, 36th over there, uh, 67th on Yahoo, which is fine. But I think the big thing that holds him back in terms of overall ranking is the free throws. And this is what frustrates me about this guy. We can talk about maturing. He's 30 years of age. I don't think much has changed with him in terms of maturity. But he figured out how to hit free throws a couple of years ago. He changed his free throws style. He started doing this little jump. And he started hitting them. And in the 17-18 season, he hit them at 70%. And he was going at stretches at 75 Last year... 45% from the free throw line because he just refused to stick with what that new style was. So that's the real difference here. I think he can go back and have numbers like he had in 17-18 where he averaged 14 and 11 and almost two blocks. But if he shoots 70% from the line or 50% from the line, that accounts for 20 or 30 ranking spots. And that's where the big difference is in there with Whiteside. 
with his history and his um, you know, petulance with sticking with something with work with, that works with the free throws, which has happened multiple times throughout his career, where he's just gone back and gone, oh, I, I don't care, I'm just going to shoot him the other way, even though they don't go in. That's frustrating, and that's why I don't have faith in him that way. And I think drafting him, you, you'll get solid production early in the season, but when then Nurkic comes back, maybe he goes from 28 minutes a night to 24 minutes a night, and then in March when Nurkic is ramping ball back up, he goes to 23 or 22 or 21, and that production really drops off. Is, is that a fair way of looking at how you see his role sort of tapering as the season goes on? Yeah, certainly. Um, I, I think the... the the hope would be that he would he would kind of move back to that Ennis Cantor right around you know just above 20 minutes a night type of type of role um, and and not so the, so the Blazers don't have to stretch a 300 pound dude coming off of multiple leg fractures and and play him 35 minutes a night you know get get Nurk in there for 26 28 and have Hassan come off the bench um, I, I think that would be their ideal situation. But I, I do think that the Blazers, the reason that they targeted Whiteside is there is so much uncertainty with what Nurkic will be able to bring that there's a chance that he, he's their starting center for the entire season. Um, but he is a risky guy because down the stretch is, you know, he, is when he might lose his playing time. Also, I think there is an outside chance that the Blazers will role with if you know if Whiteside doesn't work out that we see more Zach Collins playing center like he did last year um the Blazers aren't afraid to do that so that's certainly an option that'd be great if they had someone to also play before which at this point they're they're lacking just quickly just mentioning the backup center at this point for those of you in deeper leagues Pau Gasol is signed by (laughs) Portland he is likely going to play at least some minutes uh, on this team because they said you put Collins and playing some center minutes but then who plays the force but Gasol's going to have to play a little bit early on yeah, I mean, and I I don't think uh, Pau Gasol would have signed this contract without some sort of promise about playing time, at least early on in the, in the season. You know, maybe they didn't say, here's your 15 minutes for sure, but they said, you know, we want you to come here because we want you to play. So Pau's definitely going to be part of the rotation in the early months. Okay, we're going to take a quick break before we get back for uh, more Blazers Fantasy Outlook with uh, Josh Lloyd. But before we do that, I want to tell you guys all about Locked On Fantasy Football. Make sure you listen to Vinny Iyer and Locked On Fantasy Football. Vinny gives you the edge with over 20 years covering fantasy football. Those into the same stuff as everyone else, then you are the same as everyone else. Get the edge from Vinny that will put you ahead on draft day and put you ahead all season long. Locked On Fantasy Football on your favorite podcast provider. Let's talk about about then, we've talked about Aminu leaving and Zach Collins moving into that spot. Mo Harkless is gone in that trade that acquired Whiteside. So who is the starting three for this team? I think it's almost certainly Rodney Hood. Um, I think there's an outside chance that it's Kent Bazemore and they move Hood into that sort of utility scorer role. But just because of the size of Bazemore, I think most nights they're going to want it to be Hood on the wings. Um, they really, you know, they really liked Hood in the playoffs. They, they 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 rolled with him a bunch. They think he can play two, three, and four. They like his positional versatility. But I think Hood is your day one starter at small forward. I agree with that. I think he'll be the starter there. Um, obviously, not a great defender. Has moments where he can score, but he's not going to be putting up a huge amount of fantasy value. I wouldn't believe. But he had some strong uh, games in the playoffs. But it is really just scoring for Hood. Um, I'd see him more as a, a deeper league sort of a player rather than a guy who's going to be cracking that standard league situation. Kent Bazemore played some three in Atlanta. 
but he is a little bit undersized. He's better off being more of a, of a two uh, backup three type of a player. Um, I think they're probably going to eat into each other's value a little bit, um, and I don't really see either as being a, a massive standard league guy. I think Bazemore could move into having some standard league value at times, depending on what happens with Hood. We know Hood's had significant, uh, consistent injury problems without it being one specific area of his body, and that could lead to more minutes for Bazemore. And Bazemore has that advantage because he can put up defensive numbers, he can get steals, he can get blocks, and he does get assists, whereas Hood does none of those things, which does uh, put that advantage towards Bazemore if they were to play equal minutes. Although, as as I'm reading from you, Mark, I don't think we're expecting equal minutes from them uh, initially. Yeah, I think think, uh, Bazemore is definitely part of the the everyday rotation. You know, if Terry Stott stays with nine, Bazemore's in the nine, but uh, I I think Hood is the guy early on. We... We talked about backup power forward, and we mentioned Anthony Tolliver. But there's a guy that the Portland Trailblazers signed that I, I sort of forgot about when we were talking at the start, who I think is actually a pretty good power forward. And if they were going to go without Whiteside and play Zach Collins at the five, I think Mario Hazonia is someone that's interesting enough to at least experiment there. He had moments in at Orlando a couple of years ago when Aaron Gordon was out. When he would play power forward, he would also run as a, as a point power forward. He, uh, defensively, he played well. He could handle the ball. He was mismanaged significantly in New York last season by Fisdale. And now he heads to Paul. I think that he would have to be the opening night favorite to at least be the backup power forward. Yeah, I think so. And to me, he's kind of the biggest wild card on this team um, just because of his size and, and, like you mentioned, his ball handling skills. He he had that week, like maybe 10 days for the Knicks last year when they made him a point guard right at the end of the season yep. when he was a monster. Um, I don't think we're going to see that um, because, you know, bad player, bad, bad team, good stats, bad team guy or whatever. But um, I think Kazonia is the big wild card on this team. I'm not sure he's in the, like, day one big big minutes rotation, um, but I, I think they probably like him better in theory than Anthony Tolliver just because he does so much more stuff. Um, but he, he's a real question mark for me. I like him, too, as a, as a power forward. You know, they, they did a little bit last year where they kind of – they, when they finally figured out what to do with Evan Turner, it didn't happen in the playoffs, but where he started guarding power forwards and kind of initiating the offense. And I think maybe Hazonia assumes a role that's somewhat similar to that eventually. Um, but I don't, the way this roster is set up, I, I just don't see a lot of opportunities for him to dribble and get the ball in his hands on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, You've got yeah. Baysmore, Lillard, McCullum, Hood. All, all these guys do handle the and ball. And Anthony Simons. Like they're they're going to give the ball to Anthony Simons a bunch. Um, so yeah. it's like, is there is there time for Hazonia to dribble? Um, I, I think I like him as an option. Uh, I'm not sure the team agrees with you and I, Josh. He's someone just to watch really for, for deeper leagues to see if he forces his way to that rotation. Now, Mark, you've mentioned opening night rotation and, and what's going to happen. Let's go through that opening ro- night rotation and who you think is going to be in. Of course, Damon CJ in the backcourt. We've said Rodney Hood starting at the three. We're going to have Collins and Whiteside. So there's our starting five. So you've got Bazemore coming off the bench. You've got Simons in that rotation. That's seven men in that uh, in that rotation. Who are the, uh, or Pau Gasol's the backup center? That's eight. Who else yeah, are we looking I, at here? I think that's your guaranteed eight, and now the and the and traditionally uh, Terry Stotts has not gone ten deep, even though last year and the year before he, because of maybe just like keeping guys happy, he went ten and eleven deep. Uh, two seasons ago, he regularly used eleven guys, and he said he hated it. So don't expect him to do that again. Um, I would assume he sticks with nine, and it's a fight between Hazonia and Tolliver. And right now, I would lean towards Hazonia getting that spot. 
um, as your ninth guy. It's always good when uh, you, you agree with the things that I think and the way that I've projected things out. So happy, happy that that's the result. Let's let's go to the uh, to the pointy end of this team now. Let's talk about the player that people want to hear about, and that is Damian Lillard, who was obviously fantastic again for this team. One of the best culture setters in the NBA, one of the best players in the NBA. He was the 12th ranked fantasy player last season. I think he's another first round guy this year. Can Lillard, what can Lillard do better this season? And one thing I think that's important to note is over the final three months of the season, he started averaging eight assists per game. Only seven for the course of the season, but eight would be by far a career high. If he can get back to that, or if he can get to that level that he did at the end of last season, was there a noticeable change for him in those final 30, 40 games of the year that saw him facilitating more? And is that something that's going to carry over into this season? Uh, well, some of it was when, uh, when Nurk went down, Dame took it upon himself to be a little more assertive and and assertive by that I mean just sort of like give me the ball I'm going to get into the actions I'm going to get into our stuff and set people up a little bit more um, and because some of the other bigs maybe didn't have as much individual offense um, if you weren't just throwing the ball into Ennis Cantor it was more assisty type actions you know pick and pops for Zach Collins or trying to get Harkless and Amino open on cuts and things like that and then there was that 10 game stretch when uh Nurk got hurt, and then CJ got hurt. And that was when I think the sort of natural inclination for people who watch this team is say, oh, Dame's going to score 40 a night. Like, we're just going to see him go full Westbrook and go nuts. And instead, his scoring numbers barely ticked up, you know, maybe a, a point and a half a game, but his assists went way up because there was just so much more time with him as the lead ball handler. There isn't, There aren't those minutes where he throws it ahead to CJ and says, go do your stuff. And CJ's not a big assist guy. He's a sort of dribble into your own offense type of dude. Um, so, you know, less of less CJ on less CJ on the court uh, maybe meant a little bit worse offense, but better individual statistics for Dame. So I, I do think some of it was a just sort of function of the health of the roster as opposed to sort of him uh, growing into this like better facilitator. I, I think it was more situational. Okay, that, that's interesting because it, it was it was pretty you know, sort of standout to see those numbers at the second half of the season. But that's the difference between Lillard being say the eleventh best guy and the seventh best guy in fantasy. And if it's not something that's necessarily going to continue on, then you still got to have him at that back end first round guy. And he's a you know, more reliable option than guys like Kawhi Leonard and Joel Embiid and, and probably even Paul George for this season in terms of their injuries and potential rest and all that sort of stuff. All right, before we get to the third segment, I want to tell you guys that the new Locked On NFL podcast is on fire. Last week was one of the most listened to NFL shows in the whole podcast universe. It's got expert analysis of former NFL scout Matt Williamson, and it's hosted by Brian Peacock. Locked On NFL is your daily national podcast on all things NFL with Matt's unique take on the game. So follow Locked On NFL now on your favorite podcast provider. Let's talk CJ McCollum, who was probably a little bit disappointing last season, had some big moments in the playoffs, but his overall body of work during the season wasn't quite where it had been in the past. We saw, as you mentioned, his assist numbers had fallen for the fourth consecutive season last year. We saw his steal rate be pretty low. He was still relatively efficient, but this is a guy that you know, made his mark on being a 40% plus three-point shooter and was right. down at under 38 last year. So McCollum... Tell him here, yeah, at the age of 28, what is there any concerns about? It's not a big drop-off, but it was a marginal drop-off with him, or was the way that he rebounded with some of those games in the playoffs uh, encouraging enough? You know, I, I kind of, I, I'm of two minds about CJ. I think um, what we saw from him last year might be more towards what his production level is. Like, I'm not going to predict three-point percentages, but I don't know if he can consistently be a 40% uh, three-point shooting guy forever and ever and in, in perpetuity. Um, and really when he was 
when he's at his absolute best, it's when he's shooting, you know, above 55% from the mid-range. That's, yeah. that's a hard thing to do, particularly as you sort of lose a little bit of your quicks of your early 20s. Um, but what he does is so – what his skills are are so perfect for the playoffs. He's a bad shot maker. He's a give me the ball and I'm going to score on this dude in a one-on-one situation that I almost think – what he did in the playoffs maybe proves his overall value, but if you're thinking about it as like a holistic fantasy standpoint, I would bank more on what we saw in that 82-game regular season being closer to the C.J. McCollum we get as opposed to this sort of like dominant, uh, you know, hyper-scouting report playoff-level C.J. McCollum we saw in the playoffs. That's exactly how I view McCollum as well. Now, he's a guy that the, always tends to get it ranked a little bit aggressively, 55th on Yahoo, 64 on ESPN which is not the level that he was at last year. He was 69th overall last season. And one of the reasons with, with McCollum, and we look back to his numbers you know, two years ago where he was the 28th best fantasy player and he averaged 23 points per game. That's only two points difference now. But the big, uh, one of the big differences there is that the three-pointer, which he hit at you know, exactly the same amount over this season versus two years ago, is it's become more common across the league. So therefore, that stat becomes less uh, rare. And then the overall value of what he does decreases because his assists have dropped, his steals are low, he's not a good rebounder. And I think more of the same sort of stuff is going to happen for CJ. Keep those rebounds and assists low, no steals, no blocks. He's going to hit his threes, but that becomes less of a less of a rare or less of a valuable commodity in fantasy basketball because of the way that other uh, other teams are hitting them or other players are hitting them, that it does decrease his overall value. Now, there is a real risk if someone's looking to get him inside the top 50 of them being burnt by that selection just because of the... Um because of that uh, yeah, that um, rarity of the three-pointer. So uh, I'm glad you're sort of in uh, in agreement with me in terms of the shooting and sort of sitting at where he was last season. But I know you have mentioned, and I really want to talk about this guy because he's criminally underranked on uh, both Yahoo and ESPN, and that is Anthony Simons. He is likely to come in and play a much larger role in every night part of the rotation, backing up the one, playing minutes at the two, we barely saw him last season. This is the Portland way. Rookies come in that don't play in the G League. They don't play for the team. He played, what, seven or eight games last year. Had that monster 35.48 minute performance in the regular season finale. But what makes him ready to take on such a large role this year? I mean, who knows, right? Uh, what makes them ready is the roster. <laughs> it's yeah, that's like, true. It's like, what makes them ready is that they didn't, they didn't sign a veteran point guard. Uh, the other guards that they have, the non-CJ, non-Dame guards that are on the roster, are not necessarily great ball handlers. Like, Bazemore has a little bit, but he's not a heavy pick-and-roll guy. Um, Rodney Hood, the same. Individual offense, but not a heavy pick-and-roll guy. The guys who are creators aren't necessarily like that. But, but the Blazers really, really believe. Like, Neil oh, Olshay has, has gone, I mean, probably too far calling Anthony Simons the most talented, raw, talented player he's ever drafted. Um, he said maybe he's not the best player that Damon CJ were, or the same player Damon CJ were at the same stage, but he's more talented than they are. Um, that's a wild thing to say. Damon Lord is going to be the best player in the history of the Trailblazers. Um, when he hangs it up, so it's quite high praise from the front office. But I, you're right, Amphrey Simon's going to play 25 minutes a night right away. Um, he's Is he ready to play 25 minutes a night? I don't know. But he, if you're just looking for raw production, sort of raw, like, raw opportunities, Simons is definitely a guy who's going to get a ton of opportunities, and they're going to let him go score. Uh, just watching him, I think he can score in the NBA right now. I'm not sure he can guard anyone. So uh, we'll just see what that experiment looks like. But he's penciled in to play a ton, a ton of minutes early in this season. 
Yeah, so look, he's ranked outside the top 470 on both Yahoo and ESPN. To me, he's a comfortable shot for top 250, probably have a chance at the top 200. Those minutes are going to be there. He'll score. He'll hit some threes. Now, he's got a little bit of the CJ problem that rebounds and assists aren't really a big thing that he does, and he doesn't generate deals or get blocked. So that, that can be a problem. Although, in that season finale, as I said, I think he had 35, 7, and 9, something crazy seven and like nine, that. Yeah, so maybe, yeah, yeah. It was a wild game. <laughs> so maybe he can. Maybe he can start to improve that assist rate and rebound rate and really start to put up some numbers. It, it will be interesting to see whether we can get that. But we've had such a limited sample from him. He played you know, what three games in the G League, about 130 minutes for the Blazers last season, and then didn't play at all in college. So you know, working out what we're getting from Anthony Simons is going to be tough, but he should definitely be drafted in every sort of league that is at least 16 teams deep because he's got an every-night rotation role, and we know how key that can be. Uh, for fantasy basketball, let's. Uh, he's a, uh, I guess, draft classmate from last season, Gary Trent Jr. Again, like Simons, we didn't really get to see him. Is he? Is he slated for any rotation minutes, or is it going to be another one of those weird seasons of him just sitting and watching? I think he is on the Alan Crabb, Pat Connaughton, Will Barton plan of getting two full years of watching NBA basketball before being a contributor. That's um, almost the same column as well. It is. Um, CJ was, a, I'll, I will yes. mind you, a terrible mistake <laughs> by the Blazers um, because when he finally played in playoffs, he averaged 25 a game. So it's not always a good plan. <laughs> it's not always a good plan. But um, I, don't, I don't think uh, Trent is part of the plan in this season. Um, I, you know, the Blazers don't give up on guys. They signed him to a multi-year contract. Uh, you know, in, in some way you want to look at it, they gave – Ed Davis's money to him, um, so you know they, they think he's part of the future, uh, but I don't think he's part of the present. Uh, he he does some things that make you think he's an NBA player. He can shoot it. He's you know six five or whatever. Uh, he has got a little bit of off the dribble game uh, that we saw in, in summer league, but I I don't think there's a role for him uh, on this roster right now. He, uh, he didn't shoot it well last year, 24% from three, and that got worse over the, the final stretch of his games. His last seven games, he was at 15%. But, of course, this is such a minimal amount of playing time. He played a total of 110 minutes over the course of the season. So, again, we just didn't get to see him. He played about three G League games as well. Let's talk about the guy who's going to be obviously on that diet this season as well, their first-round pick, Nasir Little, who was disappointing in college, was disappointing in summer league, and we're just not going to see him suit up at all this year, are we? No way. There's, like if if Nazir Little is playing something terribly went terribly wrong for the Blazers, um, like like super wrong, like four guys in front of him wrong. Um, what, what do you make of his struggles in summer league? Uh, well, so I'm, a, I'm I grew up in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I am a huge Carolina basketball fan. I have seen Nazir Little play every single minute of his post high school career, many of them multiple times because that's the type of nerdy fan I am. Yeah. Um, he is he can't dribble. He has no, he has no wiggle with the ball in his hand. Just cannot get loose. Um, he, when he was good in college, he overwhelmed people with his athleticism with a really quick first step and straight line drives. That's still going to be a strength in the pros: is straight line drives and just being strong. I think he can eventually get there, but he's he does he can't shoot, so people don't crowd him, so he can use that quick first step. Um, he doesn't have a lot of, like I said, he doesn't have a lot of wiggle, doesn't have a lot of special moves off the dribble. So, you know, if you just corral him on that first move, he's not going anywhere. And he's not, he just doesn't have a super strong IQ at this stage. So he's not making the right pass. He's not making a creative play when he gets, when he gets in space. So um, he's got some physical tools, like he's long, he's 6'6". 
Um, he plays really hard, which I think is an underrated skill for someone yeah. like him. But um, he just the, – the, the things that you would want in an NBA wing, he doesn't have right now. There you go. There's your dynasty outlook for and I see a little. We're talking a couple of years away if he even gets there. Some real disappointing stuff from him over the last couple of years. But obviously that high school um, prospect ranking was really high. Just hasn't really delivered. So, And we're not going to get to see really any of it this year. So that's going to be interesting. Now, one guy we haven't touched on. I, I do have to mention him. I'm contractually obl- obligated to talk about him. Scalabus here. Is there any hope for him at all? Uh, you know, I think if 39-year-old Pau Gasol can't play a lot or is not healthy, which I think there's a chance that Pau isn't healthy at the beginning of the season, he's still recovering, I think there's a slim chance that there are early season center minutes carved out for Scal. Um, I, I'd say the biggest positive in, for Scal is that the Blazers told him to stay home from Summer League. He was, re- he was prepared to go to Summer League, prepared to go to Vegas, and they said, we don't need to see you in Vegas. Like, we, we know what you do. We know you're good. Just go work on your game. Like, there's no reason to come to Vegas with us. There's plenty of other – we have other goals we want to get done. Um, so that means that they think he's – either they think he is what he is and that, a, a, you know, four games in Vegas wouldn't help anybody, or that they say, you know, you're, you're better than this quality of competition and we don't, we don't need any more evaluation time from you. One thing I know for sure with Abyssia is he is better than Caleb Swanigan, so that was a win in that trade. But yeah, where he where he look, and there is there is minutes at power forward and centre potentially available, so maybe he can work his way into it. I wouldn't have too many hopes with that. I think that covers nearly everyone on this roster. Before I let you go, Mike, just going to go through some uh, my value play uh, in terms of draft guys. Zach Collins, Yahoo rank 139, tremendous value there. I also think Hassan Whiteside at number 36 on ESPN is just way too high. We talked about all those other guys and where they're going, but they're the two that really stand out as over valued and undervalued. Mike, let us know uh, about Locked On Blazers, about where they can find you on social media as well. I am uh, on Twitter at Mike G. Rich. Uh, You can follow uh, for daily coverage of the Blazers and maybe like a really negative outlook on Nazir Little at Locked On Blazers, wherever you get, uh, wherever podcasts are sold. Um, I promise that I'm a fan of his game. I've just, I've just seen him play 40 times, guys. I just, I know what he does. yeah, my, at Mike T. Rich on Twitter, at Lockdown Blazers. Uh, it's, it's a super fun podcast, the, the absolute best daily Blazers podcast on the internet. Check me out. It absolutely is. Go and check out Mike over on Locked On Blazers. If you could give both of us a five-star rating and review, it would be fantastic. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. And, of course, this show's on YouTube as well. Leave a comment below, subscribe, hit the bell, give it a thumbs up, all those great things. Mike, thanks for jumping on and, uh, and um, making your debut here on the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Josh, thanks for having me. I had a ton of fun.